This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. It's now 9.35 a.m. Wednesday, the 9th of November. You're listening to The Morning Run. Time for the SNM Show. This is, of course, the show where we rant about everything that's working in markets and what's not. I'm Melissa Idris with Julian Ng and our guest this week. Back on the show, James Hay, founder and MD of Penguin Investment Management. Good morning, James. Good morning. You are joining us on the uh, D-Day for the U.S. elections. Uh, just a quick update on what's happening there. CNN making some more calls this morning for based on early uh, exit polls. Seven for Clinton, three for Trump. They're projecting Hillary will get Delaware, Illinois, Maryland, um, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Rhode Island and D.C., while Donald Trump will win Oklahoma, Mississippi and Tennessee. Now, Ohio and Florida are still too close to call. Florida being a swing state and a must-win state for Trump. If Hillary wins in Florida, then it's all over. So, James, where are you putting your money on? Who will win the race of the White House? Um, I don't mind, really. You don't mind (laughs) either? I really don't mind. I really don't mind. How come? How come? No strong feelings? Because we we try to invest in in businesses which are run by well-managed businessmen. And well-managed, good good businessmen have to adjust to the reality of the day. Um, and, and if you look at a company like Bedini, which I always talk about, if Trump wins or if Clinton wins, is that going to stop people shopping at Bedini? The answer is no. If the share price halves on the back, back of it, and I can't see why it would, that's fantastic. We can buy more at half price because it, it, it's easily worth it. So. But you want a Trump win, right? You want a Trump victory because that would cause the markets to go down and that would allow you to buy more. I'm not necessarily sure it would. When everybody says something's going to happen, it probably doesn't. Well, on your newsletter, the uh, Penguin Asia Fund says that it's most suitable for investors who are happiest when markets are falling. That's right. Because the definition of an investor is not somebody who buys something for... because something's going to happen this week on, on, on some electoral result, it, it's someone who's actually putting their money to work for three to five years. And if you can buy things very cheaply, i.e. when markets are falling, that's always good news for an investor. Okay, well, it's good some news for us. It's how we make our money. It's how we make our performance fees. Everybody gets happy. And, uh, um, and of course, you are uh, happy to note that Pangolin Asia Fund has won the Asia Hedge Best Fund for Asia, including Japan. Congratulations, James. Thank you very much. So did, you did the award photo op on stage. Did you do that? Yes, yeah. we did all that. Did all that. And, and that's very that's very interesting because how my question is how in the world did you end up in a hedge fund award? How come you're classified as, well, te- as a hedge fund? Well technically we're a hedge fund. In if you read our prospectus, we can do all sorts of hedgy things. But in <laughs> practice we don't do any of them. We have no facilities for borrowing money, but in theory we can. All we do is try and find good companies hold and hold them for the long long term. But I could go short sugar futures if I wanted to, if yeah. I knew how to, yeah. um, but I don't. Um, so we're in that category because we can invest in Japan. It's just that so far we, we haven't and have no plans to at the moment. So th- do you think this is an accolade because out of 10 funds, uh, 10 awards that were available, you won one of them, which is a big haul uh, by any standards? Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's nice. It's nice <laughs> to win something. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I mean. I'm, I'm the guy on stage. I have very hardworking colleagues who really do all the work um, and they're the brains behind the whole thing. So, And this is coming on the back of uh, the very bad press that hedge funds have been getting um, over the last year or two. They've not been doing extremely well, which um, – Well, some, really, some really, have. Yeah. Some haven't. 
I yeah, mean, it's, which, it's, which, it's like anything. But, yeah. but you know, the, the kind of uh, sentiment and the narrative that's being projected by the financial presses out there is that a record amount of funds are flowing into ETFs, uh, which is the answer to uh, the very active hedge funds. Yeah. It's not, of course. It's, yeah. it's just creating a bubble in big liquid stocks, right? And, and so everybody's doing the same thing. So, so what happened before 2007 is that basically there's a huge bubble into hedge funds, and hedge funds were all doing the same strategy. When that went wrong, they all had to unwind the same thing. So what looked like, was like, like it was very liquid turned out not to be at all liquid. Um, and I think there's a danger of that with ETFs because they're a bit self-fulfilling on the performance at the moment. Um, and everyone keeps buying the same thing. Um, now, when that bubble bursts, and bubbles always burst, then you will find everyone's got the same thing. And mm-hmm. it'll be do, the same problem. Do you agree with that, Jules? I mean, that's the same problem with ETFs? I, I think a bubble is just in terms of uh, the accumulation of funds that they have, not, ne- not necessarily in the performance, because if you look at many ETFs, they underperform as well. I mean, you look at the emerging market ETFs, they've not been doing very well. But the S&P 500 uh, has been doing well on account of how well the U.S. Yeah. markets yeah. have been so, doing. So therefore, an S- S&P 500 ETF would be able to raise more money than a, um, an emerging market ETF at the moment. Yeah. So more money keeps going into that, which keeps pushing it up, which pushing people the market raise up. more money. Self- because self-fulfilling. Because yeah. most people, when they invest, look in the rearview mirror. They say, what's doing well? I want some of that when really one ought to be doing the opposite. Yeah, I think there is the, the other leg of the momentum that's going on as well, which is that uh, people are really buying into the uh, passive uh, school of investing. Uh, of course, for, for their core portfolio, and these robos are starting to allow you to invest uh, 10 bucks of your money, right? Uh, so yeah. uh, it makes it easier for people to buy into such things. But I just I, want... I think it's a bad thing. If you know nothing about investing, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. I think we, we could have a we could have an entirely yeah. whole show <laughs> based, on, based that, on that. We've on already that gone off on the sideline, right? Um, <laughs> I'd like to know about the other categories. What you you what category did you win for? That's the Asia. So so we we, yeah. we, we were best Asian hedge fund, including Japan. Um, according to our documentation, we can invest anywhere in Asia, and I have never dis- I have never. Um, defined Asia. So I'd, I would say New Zealand to Syria. We have no plans for either <laughs> Wow, at the New moment. Zealand to Syria. Well, well, that's kind of Asia if that's you really want to stretch it. Right? Yeah. We could buy an American company or a British company with most of its business in Asia, if, as long as it's predominantly an Asian business. Um, so, so we won that. I mean, there, there, there was Asia X Japan. Someone else won that. I'm not sure. sure what. One, one of my investors actually owns the fund that won Asia X Japan, and he owns us, so he did quite oh, well. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So was there a kind of sour grapes that was going on because you're uh, technically a long fund, long only fund in a hedge fund no, the category. Other fund, the, the other fund, I think, was a long only fund as well. What, what happened is, is it, a lot of it's on timing, of course. And, and I think Asia Hedge go from August to September. And I think last July, we were down 10% or something, or, or, or last August, we were down 10% in that month. So it's it just a fortuitously coming from a low base. Awesome. I and I know there's going to be a silly question, but... Why have you not used some of the other hedge fund, hedge funny, hedgy instruments that are available to you? Borrow money to plow them into, all, into Padini and other stocks. Um, because if you borrow money, uh, you can't be long term because you have to worry about, about, about things going wrong. You have to worry about margin calls. You have to worry about interest rates going up and everything else. So we found, and we've outperformed a lot of people over a very long time. I mean, forget the, the, the one-year award thing. But really over, over 12 years, we found by, that just by focusing on what's really cheap 
and not worrying about borrowing money or hedging or shorting or trying to smooth out the volatility, um, that's work for us. <laughs> Is this the first time you've won in this category, James? Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. Congratulations. And is it true that, I mean, this is uh, something people say, is it true that hedge funds do better in a bear market? Uh, And and in the US, at least right now, is a boom market. uh, And I I think that's how they started. I think originally they started, and there were were no other hedge funds around. So so, so the idea was that you were hedging the downside, and they did very well. Up until the run-up to 2007, I think, blew that away in most cases. Um, everything was going up. didn't matter what you bought. You made money. You, you could have some shorts on as well. But effectively, everybody was gearing as well. And, and, and they were compounding their, their returns in, in a bull market. And then it turned out everybody was doing more or less the same. Everyone who said, I'm not correlated to anybody else, turned out that they were. And everything came <laughs> crashing down. So for us, just value. Buying something which is clearly cheap seems to work for us. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, of course, there are, there are good hedge funds and bad hedge funds and a lot in the middle and everything else. But I mean, yeah. not all hedge funds are bad. It's just another way of investing. And just one more point before we go into what you define as uh, what is Asia. What are your thoughts on <laughs> commodities? I mean, this is really uh, something that hedge funds play around with. And I, I suppose you have an answer for that, whether you want, you'd like to go into commodities or not. Uh, no is the answer. I don't want to go into commodities. I've got no idea what commodities are going to do. I'm pretty sure that if you go to Indonesia, um, Indonesian ladies will be wearing more lipstick in five years' time than they are now, using more makeup. Guys will be eating more burgers, everything else. Ask me what the oil price will be in five years' time. Will it be higher or lower? I haven't got a clue. I've got no way of calling it. So we're in, we're in a part of the world where consumption is growing. You can see that, and that's what we want to play. But commodities, I haven't got a clue what they're going to do. So I just stay away from it. Um, but I do tend to find that all the experts who say they do have a clue what oil is going to do or coal are, are as often wrong as they are right. So, you know. <laughs> okay, well, uh, we're speaking to James Hay, founder and MD of Pangolin Investment Management. Let's find out more about what he thinks of the Indonesia story after this break on BFM 89.9. 9.47, you're listening to the SM Show on The Morning Run. This is the show where we rant about what's working in markets and what's not. Here to join our rant is James Hay, founder and MD of Pangolin Investment Management. He doesn't have a lot to rant about because he recently won the um, Asia Fund, uh, the Asia Hedge Best Fund for Asia, including Japan. Now, quite interesting because uh, most of his portfolio is here in Malaysia, but uh, Indonesia seems to be a burgeoning story that you're, you're keeping a close eye on, aren't you, James? Yeah, we've got about a third of the fund invested in Indonesia. Um, we've been in Indonesia for a very long time. I mean, back, back in 2009, we were probably about 70% invested in Indonesia. Wow. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a rapidly improving story. Um, again, our point of view is we have to find something very cheap enough, you know, it's cheap enough to actually own um, to take advantage of it. But the country is improving. So what caused that um, downgrade of that ownership, 70 over percent allocation to right now about 30 percent something allocation? Well, it's just, just finding more, more investment opportunities. And, and those, those companies did very well. What happened in, in 2008, Indonesia collapsed and the currency collapsed. And we just put everything we could find into Indonesian stocks on about two, three times earnings in some cases. So we made a lot of money there. But that's a while ago now. So now you have to find other opportunities elsewhere. So you say that Indonesia is a rapidly improving story. Which parts are, are improving, in your opinion? Well, well, foreign, the ease of doing business is, 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 is the major thing. For, as, a, as, a, as a foreigner, being able to open a factory, um, for so long it was so hard to actually invest as a foreigner in Indonesia to do business there. Uh, you know, Malaysia's been very proactive for a long time, um, and perhaps the low-hanging fruit's gone from Malaysia. Um, but in Indonesia, 
it's now possible to get work permits for the guys. In the past, if, if you met a, another white guy at a party or something, you'd say, <laughs> you'd say, how long have you been here? And he'd say, six months. I'd say, oh, so you haven't got your work permit yet? And he'd say, no, I go out, in and out every, every three months to, to get my passport shot. I mean, it used to be the case here, actually, but, but it's you know, much, much better now. Um, and, and, and that kind of thing's gone. You know, opening factories, red tapes, disappearing, number of approvals you need um, is disappearing. Um, in, in, in the latest ease of doing business index, I think um, Indonesia jumped 15 points. Well, it's significant yeah. uh, from, from 91, uh, 291 actually. And, and what's points. also crucial is you've got to remember that this is happening in the face of a huge collapse in commodities prices over the last few years. So mm. Indonesia is, is attracting the type of investment that Malaysia and Thailand, etc., used to get, i.e. Nissan opening a car plant there. Car plants used to happen in Thailand. Now they're happening in Indonesia. Why? A, because it's easier to do it and, and, and you've got electricity and power and the approvals and everything else. But you also now have a market to sell your products. In mm-hmm. the past, you could open a factory in Indonesia. It would only be for export, and it was too troublesome. Now you have 250 million people who might all want to buy a drive a Nissan one day. Yeah, so it's also a case that uh, the problems in the commodity sector is really forcing their hand in opening up and uh, exploring other places. Yeah, I, yeah I, 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 I'd say, I, I, well, I mean, if commodities come back, Indonesia will continue to do well. The, you know, the, the commodities areas like Sumatra, Kalimantan, Sulawesi, etc. Will, will, will do well. But um, you know, people on Java, like most people, are, like everyone, are sort of rather squeezed when commodities are, are high. So it's a double-edged sword anyway. So you are a lover of the consumer sector. Mm-hmm. And if we compare the, commod- uh, the consumer sector between Malaysia and Indonesia, um, in Malaysia, there is a feeling that uh, of late, uh, the sentiment is quite poor and people get the feeling that the economic sentiment is slowing down. I know your long term, that would probably only affect your portfolio in the short term, but maybe not because you buy into stocks that sell cheaply, cheap products. What is that situation in Indonesia? Because we've been talking about the Indonesian demographic dividend yeah. for a very long time. Well, it is happening. I mean, it is happening. And, and a lot of it's driven by changes in lifestyle. As people move from Kampong to city, yeah. they start, they earn more and they consume more and have a bit more leisure time, etc. So, so that sort of r- r- doesn't matter in, in a way what's happening in the economy or not. That's just a trend that's happening, just, not just in Malaysia, but all over, or not just in Indonesia, but just all over Southeast Asia. In terms of the expected sort of consumer boom, I think it's rather like, waiting for a wave when you're surfing and you keep thinking it's going to come and mm. it doesn't quite come. Um, but it's, it's coming definitely in Indonesia. I think it'll come back here where the Chinese tourists are well, coming back. Just too, before the so. break, you were yeah. saying, you know, in the years to come, um, Indonesian women will be wearing more lipstick. Yeah. As, so, you know, I'm really quite fascinated with the consumption growth story with Indonesia, just simply because the market is so big. But when you talk about the uh, consumer wallet in Indonesia, it's not quite the same level of attractiveness as, say, um, Malaysia or Thailand. Yeah. There is far, you're right, there's far less money. And, and, and people buy sachets of shampoo for one wash. They don't buy a bottle. Yeah, the little but ones, yeah, right? Absolutely. I've noticed that, yeah. Like, like, like Malaysians here used to buy one cigarette till they yeah. banned that. Like, <laughs> can, I remember those days. Yeah. So what do you own? What are the kind of things that you own in okay. Indonesia? We own the largest vehicle financing company in Indonesia. It yields about 6%. That's for, for cars and motorbikes. We own another, another vehicle financing company in Indonesia, um, which actually lends, if you've already got a motorbike, you can get a loan against the value of that motorbike. Um, like a refinancing. Yeah, refinancing. Wow. Um, for us, it's all about non-performing loan ratios being very low and consistently low, i.e. getting repaid. We own the largest distributor of IT equipment, smartphones, computers, tablets, etc. in Indonesia. It's a pretty undiscovered stock. I won't name it, but it's on about seven <laughs> times earnings. I mean, that is 
for us ridiculously cheap. So apart from consumer, James, are you buying into the infrastructure, construction story, yeah. the boom no. in Indonesia? 200 trillion. No. I, I no, don't no, even know what that means. 200 trillion no, I rupiah. I can't work out the numbers either. Yeah. They keep promising to take a thousand off the currency. <laughs> but um, the, thing, the thing is, it's quite hard to pick the winners. Rather like here, trying to pick the winning construction companies. But these guys will go home and they will spend the money. And therefore, it all comes back to consumption in the end. Plus the economic growth... If you, if you build a road across a huge area where there isn't one, it has a big multiplier effect on the economy around that road, as we've seen in Malaysia, North South Highway. Um, and, and, of course, with this fantastic new railway, we're going to get up to Kelantan. Yeah. <laughs> so in the past, there were, I mean, I mean again, uh, I, I guess there's no point going back to history, but in the past, there were a lot of worries about Indonesia, high inflation rate, the currency depreciating. Are these problems still? I mean, Morgan Stanley not still too there. long ago. They're still there. Fragile it's, it's five, a, right? Part of the fragile it's five. It's a developing nation. It will yeah. have de- developing nation problems. And these um, things don't keep you well, up at j- night. J- well, a bit. But I mean, yeah. j- Jokowi was, um, you know, is a fantastic reformer and has got a technocrat government. But he didn't win the election by that much. So maybe he'll, he won't get a second term. Maybe... Um, you know, the next guy will, will go back to protectionism and closing it all up again. So, and so and you just is that a know. risk for you? It's a risk. I mean, I know you're risk. long-term, but those changes yeah. in yeah. bureaucracy... But if you own things that are cheap enough, you mitigate the risk, right? Yeah. If you pay, you say, it's a fantastic story, I just want to get into Indonesia, find me some blue chips, I don't care what they cost, I'm going to ride this, then, then that's a greater risk, I'd say. So these dividends are, that are being paid by the companies you own, I presume that uh, they're pretty good dividends. Yeah. Do you reinvest your dividends yeah. back in the same stock? Or? Uh, no, we, we, yeah. we, we just look at how much money we've got on any given yeah. day and buy whatever we think is the best thing to buy at the time, not necessarily the same stock. But often the same stuff. So just use it to further it, yeah, diversify. The fund, yeah. okay. the, yield, and the yield across our funds is about 4% at the moment. Okay, it's uh, unfortunately we've run out of time. So 9.55 right now, we want to say a big thank you to James Hay, founder of uh, founder and MD of Pangolin Investment Management. And also his fund won the Asia Hedge um, uh, Fund for Asia, including Japan. So congratulations to you, James. Thanks for being on the show. We've got more updates on what's happening with the U.S. elections in the news bulletin coming up in five minutes. But first, here's the Rolling Stones with here's Beast of Burden, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.